greatest scandals in the church today is the absolute silence of our shepherd in the face of 50 million babies being slaughtered by abortion worldwide every single year. Ironically, my last day in Ireland, I had a free day. It was a Saturday morning, so a couple of local pro-life activists in Dublin asked me to go to an abortion doctor's office on the sidewalk in the front. And I had my exorcism crucifix, John, is a crucifix with a first-class bone uh, chip of St. Patrick. They took a video of me explaining to the people in front of this abortion doctor's office and then they took pictures of me actually doing the exorcism because I would not let them videotape me doing the exorcism. But of course, it hit the Irish media, it hit the American media. It, it, it really became a big deal. And hello again, it's always grand to be back. I'm your host, John Edinburgh. Now, you were just listening there to the protest priest. He's the well-known Catholic pro-life leader here in the United States, Father Stephen Imbarado. And he was reflecting to me in a wide-ranging interview about how he sees the Catholic Church in relation to the abortion culture worldwide. In the interview coming up, he also talks about the exorcism he performed this past summer in Ireland and he plans to go back to Ireland to do more extended pro-life work and since he qualifies he has applied for Irish citizenship. One of the big battles here in America for people of goodwill and for the large pro-life community and anti-abortion groups is repeal of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion across the United States. But Father Imbarato has another idea and calls into question the notion that courts actually legalized abortion in the first instance under Roe v. Wade. We'll get into that. Father Imbarato has another idea and it's called the Personhood Proclamation Presidential Executive Order. And I got to be honest, I came away from our interview feeling, wow, America could be within striking distance of restoring full civil rights for little babies in the womb very soon. Now, aside from the Supreme Court tilting to the right on social issues as it pertains to abortion, Father Imbarato says the real deal would be the personhood proclamation presidential executive order. Now, that could happen if Donald J. Trump is re-elected as President of the United States. Father Imbarato seems to have the inside track with the President and with his team at the White House. I am intrigued, and I will have to take this matter up with other pro-life groups and leaders in the U.S., as Roe v. Wade, of course, is a terrible decision of the Supreme Court and is the target and ire of pro-lifers, and it seems clear to me that it's better gone. So what is their take on the personhood proclamation presidential order? Father Imbarato says the focus should be on this, because in one fell swoop and the signature of the president, America could become a pro-life nation once again. Listen to him explain this to me. Father Imbarato has been arrested and gone to jail for his work, and in D.C. under the Trump presidency, he has been released just as quick, and some may see that as no coincidence. Father Imbarato, an American citizen, was back to Ireland last summer, where he performed the exorcism in Dublin. That's right, an exorcism outside a new abortion centre, and Father Imbarato plans to return a lot more to Ireland for extended stays and is currently waiting for his Irish citizenship. We talk about his plans for Ireland and we talk more generally on the pro-life movement. Stay tuned. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aidan Byrne. Father Imbarado's journey to the Catholic priesthood and his role as a prominent pro-life leader and campaigner began from painful personal experience, as he explains to me in this interview. So my initial involvement, unfortunately, in pro-life 
work was that I was guilty of an abortion in the about 1976. Uh, my story is well known. I was away from the church. Obviously, I wasn't a Catholic priest. I became a priest decades later. But I was complicit in an abortion with my girlfriend. Uh, primarily, uh, she had the abortion because of my influences. Not that I forced her, but I surely overtly influenced her. And then uh, we uh, repented of that. We parted company. I adopted uh, a boy from Colombia, an orphanage in Colombia in 1987, and it was in adopting John and raising John as a single guy. I adopted him as a single uh, man. Uh, raising John, I started going to the March for Life in uh, around 1990, and that led me uh, into some political pro-life stuff in New Jersey, where you're based. And then that uh, brought me to doing some pro-life speaking with a group called LifeNet, also in New Jersey. And they're still, uh, they're still doing pro-life activism in New Jersey. My pro-life work led me to the seminary in the year 2000. And I went to Holy Apostles Seminary. I went there independently, unsponsored. I was recruited by the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was very active doing pro-life work while I was in the seminary. I started Crisis Pregnancy Center while I was in the seminary in Hartford, Connecticut. After I got ordained, my first year as a priest in the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, New Mexico, I started another Crisis Pregnancy Center. It was actually a pro-life center that I not only founded, but I directed for about eight years. And uh, during that period of time, did many, many, many uh, different types of pro-life activities, the breadth and depth of my pro-life experience because of uh, where our Lord has led me is post-abortion healing because I'm post-abortive, starting crisis pregnancy centers, uh, I've sidewalk counseled, I've just recently, the last couple of years, done Red Rose Rescues where we actually go into the abortion facility to try and save babies inside these buildings in the hallways, in the offices. I've done, obviously, protests. And my latest endeavor is called On the Road for Life, where I bought a used SUV and a camper trailer, and I travel around the country from city to city, abortion mill to abortion mill, uh, doing minor prayers of exorcism, ministering to pro-lifers in front of abortion mills, doing masses in front of abortion mills when I can, giving lectures, speaking to people about the current state of abortion or the pro-life movement, the abortion issue here in the United States. Past year, I went to Ireland, uh, spent some time there as a pilgrimage, but I believe our Lord, because of my Irish ancestry on my mother's side, is calling me to go back to Ireland and do more activism, hopefully with my Irish citizenship. Uh, the way I actually became the protest priest is that about four years ago, after I started with Priests for Life, I talked to, to the leadership of the pro-life movement about how we should not be afraid to use the word protest. Prior to that, we were reticent uh, to use the word protest. I thought we were too image-oriented, too perception-oriented. And that protest was too edgy, but I started talking to people about the fact that Martin Luther King was not afraid to use the word protest, and everything that I did in defense of babies and trying to end abortion, I did in protest of the mass murder of pre-born children. And shortly after that, we started uh, protest Planned Parenthood, and uh, the word protest started becoming more uh, readily acceptable peaceful, prayerful protest. I said the three P's to offset the two P's of plant Parenthood. Peaceful and prayerful protest. And that everything that I do, pro-life-wise, I do in protest of the daily mass murder of pre-born children. I, I picked up the word protest in the hopes that the movement would accept that terminology and accept that mindset that we're no longer you know, that we're protesting the daily mass murder of children, and it's stuck because I think that we are now more in protesting mode than we've ever been before.
I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm still a priest of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe. After working for Priest for Life for three and a half years, I went back to the diocese. I was only 67 years old. I had three years to retire. I asked the, the Archbishop uh, to, if I could continue to do pro-life ministry, and he granted me early retirement so I would be able to do that. So uh, I'm a retired, uh, active retirement, so to speak, because I'm still actively doing ministry. And I'm based in Albuquerque, but again, my ministry on the road for life is a national ministry where I travel around the country doing pro-life activism. So I asked Father Imbarato, what has been the reaction of church leaders and his bishops? Well, I, there's, I, I haven't had any problems with bishops. When I was working with Priests for Life, uh, because many bishops have problems with Father Frank, Frank Pavone, I did have a couple of bishops uh, say that I was not welcome in their diocese, not because of me or my relationship with them or my pro-life activity, but because of their concerns about Priest for Life and Father Frank. Huh. Since I've left Priest for Life, I've had no problems with any bishops. Uh, I'm obviously in good standing, a priest in good standing, always have been. And uh, right now I'm in uh, actually right outside of Phoenix in Sun City, Arizona, doing a parish ministry, uh, not a pro-life uh, mission, uh, an Advent mission. I like to do Advent missions and Lenten missions. I was a pastor for 10 years before I went with Priest for Life, and I enjoy the breadth and depth of parish uh, ministry and priestly ministry. So uh, I've preached on EWTN a couple of dozen times, uh, always with a focus on pro-life work, but uh, I, I pride myself in being able to preach the breadth and depth of Catholic doctrine and all issues that the Catholic Church is uh, facing today, uh, besides the fact that, in my mind, the bishops and the Church are far too quiet, I call them dormant, uh, they're in dormition, in regards to the greatest civil rights issue of our time, I think the greatest issue facing uh, mankind in salvation history, when you think about the fact that worldwide 45 to 50 million babies are murdered worldwide uh, from abortion, over a billion in the last uh, 50 years or so worldwide, uh, this is the greatest civil rights issue, greatest social justice issue. Uh, that man has ever known, and I think that the Church should be heeding the words of St. John Paul II, the Evangelium Vitae, to call things as they are, that this is murder, it's daily mass murder, it is government-sanctioned, uh, here in the United States, definitely government-sanctioned, government-protected by the courts and law enforcement, government-funded with our money, daily mass murder of pre-born children, we should be calling it what it is, and uh, we should be speaking about it, preaching about it in season and out season. You mentioned Priests for Life. That's an organization in good standing with the Catholic Church. So why would some bishops have any issues with it? Well, it, the Priests for Life is an umbrella ministry that has now, it started off as Priests for Life, priests, ministering to priests, organizing priests. Since then, Father Frank has done an amazing job, built a huge ministry, and under the umbrella has uh, Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King, who has civil rights for the unborn, Brian Kemper, who is Stand True, Youth Outreach, uh, Silent No More, which is a post-abortion healing ministry, and Witness Ministry, Rachel's Vineyard, post-abortion healing ministry, and more. And so canonically, it's no longer uh, what it was when it started, Priests for Life. It is now much bigger. Um, and many priests just, I, I think, I'm sorry, many priests follow their bishops. Too many bishops just take offense with, I think, Father Frank personally and uh, some of the things that he says and some of the things that he does. Uh, and I think also just the, the, uh, the influence and the size of the Priest for Life ministry. Uh, I felt called to 
shifted more to activism, to protesting, uh, to being in front of the abortion mills, doing Red Rose rescues. I have to be honest that uh, Father Frank was not supportive of Red Rose rescues. Uh, he was not supportive of some of my activism. So I felt it was best to try and go out on my own, and now that's what I do. I basically go out on my own, and I can do what the Holy Spirit's moving me to do. And in spite of the fact that I've been arrested five times, I think, and spent time in jail, I have not had a bishop tell me that I'm not welcome in his diocese. Uh, so I've been blessed, and I've always been able to get along with bishops. Uh, never had a problem with it. Uh, there's many bishops, like, for instance, my bishop in Santa Fe, who his focus, his emphasis is more on immigration, the immigration issue. And I told him that as much as you focus on immigration, the immigrant immigration issue, and you have a heart for that issue and a heart for the immigrants, I'm sure you can understand equally that I have a heart for the unborn and a heart for the abortion issue. I, I, I'm not confrontational when it comes to dealing with individual bishops. That's not to say that I'm not critical of the bishops in general, because I think they are too quiet. I think they are dormant. I think they need to be more vocal. Uh, but when I'm dealing individually with a bishop, I understand their position. I understand they have a lot of issues to deal with. I understand they have a lot of problems to deal with. And I'm not going to be confrontational. I'm not going to uh, get into a conflict or a you know, tit for tat, or my issue is more important than your issue, I'm going to say, look at, you know, how can we work things out that I'm in good standing, I am in good standing, and come and do pro-life ministry in your diocese, and I really have not had any problems. What were you in prison for? I was in jail. I was in jail. So Red Rose Rescues, for your listeners or your viewers, Red Rose Rescues is a movement, two years old, a little over two years old, where we actually go into the abortion facilities. For me, and I've organized maybe a dozen Red Rose Rescues, I've participated in five of them. We go into these high-rise buildings. So, John, if you are familiar with the, the abortion industry, more and more of these abortion facilities are moving into these high-rise professional buildings, right? They're hidden in the bowels of these big Building. That's strategic, I assume. In, in many situations, it is. It provides security, and of course, it also, in many, in these instances, if you're on a sidewalk in front of these buildings, you cannot identify who's going into the building for what reason. Mm. You can't identify the women who are pregnant. Sometimes you can't see them, you can't access them, you can't counsel them. So our Lord led me to Red Rose Rescues where I go into these buildings. And actually the original plan was to go into the waiting rooms of these buildings and actually talk to the women, give them red roses, give them resources to save their babies. Now if you're in the waiting room, obviously the medical professionals can declare you trespassing immediately and ask you to leave. And if you don't leave, you're subject to arrest. Well, we came to the realization in the rescues that I did that if you, uh, and, and, and most of the time, if you're in the waiting room, as soon as they tell you you're trespassing, they take all the patients and they bring them into the back office anyway, so you don't have access. So we started going out into the hallway and we start counseling the women getting off the elevator, walking down the hallway to these abortion facilities. In essence, what we would do is extend the sidewalk from the front of the building into the hallways of these uh, multi-unit professional buildings. And we found out that as much as anyone else, we have a right to be in these hallways. These are common areas. And then unless somebody from the building came, a building manager or property manager came and said, you're trespassing, you have to leave, we're allowed to stay in these in these common areas. And the fact of the matter is that in many of these situations, there's nobody from the building or nobody from the property on the premises and they have to go find them. So we have found ourselves in these buildings for three, four hours, saving babies, saving moms, helping moms, turning moms around, saving their babies. In a couple of 
is shutting down the abortion mill, not because we shut down the abortion mill, but because the police would not allow access to the floor that we're on, or they're looking for the building manager. We've saved untold babies, countless babies, by doing these rescues in these multi-unit professional buildings. And so I've been arrested five times doing this. Uh, I, in one of the uh, instances, uh, I never pleaded guilty. He found me guilty, and I told the judge, I'm not going to accept probation. I'm not going to do community service. I don't pay fines, so you're going to have to send me to jail. <laughs> I said, and in jail, I will have a greater voice for the babies in jail. And this was in D.C. I do my rescues in D.C. So I find myself in jail in Washington, D.C., and, of course, a Catholic pro-life priest in jail. The irony of me doing these Red Rose rescues in Washington, D.C., and I think it was Divine Providence, the irony of me getting arrested and spending time in jail in Washington, D.C., is also for the last two years, I have been communicating with the Trump administration, president signing a personal proclamation presidential executive order. They have announced the fact that they have told me that they have received my uh, materials in regards to an executive order declaring personal from the moment of conception. People, your viewers, your listeners probably don't know that on November 7, 2018, a little over a year ago, after the last election, we lost, the Republicans lost the House of Representatives. They asked President Trump, what does that do for your pro-life agenda? And his answer was astounding. It said, he said that I have a solution to the abortion issue that nobody else has. It's divisive and inflammatory, so I can't explain it, but we're working on it. Well, as soon as I heard that, I knew what it was. I knew it was the person of presidential executive order that I had given the administration two years before. The executive order simply is, in its simplest form, I, Donald Trump, through this presidential executive order, do recognize constitutional personhood from the moment of fertilization based on indisputable science, abundant case law. And I direct all my federal agencies and departments to to act accordingly. Department of Justice, for instance, HHS, who already are, right, the federal mm -hmm. law. And the irony is that getting arrested in Washington, D.C., you're prosecuted by the Department of Justice, huh. the federal district. So here you have what people call the most pro-life president in history, and I won't dispute that. But the fact of the matter is, the most pro-life president in history has a pro-life priest that keeps getting arrested in the federal district, getting prosecuted by the Trump administration. That's why the five times that charges have been dismissed against us, I personally believe it's from the direction of the administration who does not want pro-lifers, especially a pro-life priest, in jail in Washington, D.C., I've made it clear to the prosecutors that I'll continue doing Red Rose rescues and that the only alternative they're going to have if they find me guilty is to send me to jail. I'm convinced they don't want to send me to jail, uh, but they want me to stop doing that. So right now my strategy is that if the president gives me personally, privately, a guarantee that he will sign this person a proclamation presidential executive order, after he gets reelected because he says he has a solution. I know what it is, so I know he has the power to implement it. And of course, if he gets reelected, he'll have no more excuses. And the fact of the matter is, I told the president that you can either be the new Lincoln, if indeed you signed the person of proclamation presidential executive order, right. or if you have a solution to the abortion issue, and you don't implement it after you have no more excuses after you get reelected, then truly we can say the blood of every baby that dies in your second term is on your hands. So that's what he's facing. That's where our Lord has brought me. Red Rose Rescues, Person and Proclamation, Presidential Executive Order. It's all laid out on my website, protestchildkilling.com. Again, that's protestchildkilling.com. But it's all there. Uh, and this is where our Lord has led me over the last couple of years in my pro-life activism. Now, Red Rose Rescue is much different to sidewalk counseling. Uh, that's right. It's the same concept, just a different location, right? Mm -hmm. So 
you know, we believe that the distance between a sidewalk and the actual office of an abortion facility inside the waiting room is a, a, an illegal buffer zone. Mm. Illegal case Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is an unconstitutional judicial decision. When people say that, you know, Roe versus Wade is settled law, it's not a law. It's never been passed as a law. There's never been legislation. It's an unconstitutional judicial decision. Anything protecting that judicial decision is immoral. It's unjust. St. Augustine, Martin Luther King, many people have said that an unjust law is no law at all. So we ignore any laws that keep us from going in and trying to save babies, right? Mm -hmm. So these, these arbitrary buffer zones between the sidewalk and the office or the sidewalk and the building, sidewalk and the common areas, the uh, hallways, all right, are is just unjust buffer zones in our mind. So we have no problems violating those buffer zones and going and accessing the women where we can speak to them, trying to convince them that there's help available and that they should save their babies from abortion. Where is the pro-life movement worldwide, and where are things headed? Do you see room for hope? America has moved more pro-life under Trump, and in the last decade, that would be something most would agree with. I think that there is the activist arm of the pro-life movement in the United States, the activism, uh, who are making strides, like the person of proclamation presidential executive order, uh, and also uh, saving babies, Red Rose Rescues, uh, different types of activism created equal go with these big TV uh, teletrons onto college campuses around the country. But the mainstream corporate pro-life movement, these large organizations that are bringing in tens of millions of dollars, that are spending tens of millions of dollars to bring in tens of millions of dollars, that are paying people, hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of dollars, totaling millions of dollars to bring in this money that the only thing they're promoting is overly cautious incrementalism that still accept rape and incest exceptions that still accept other exceptions such as physical health mm. uh, that, uh, that there's nothing happening at the national level there's nothing happening they're hoping that Trump uh, appoints another judge um, there's no guarantee that the Supreme Court will uh, uh, look at any of these over incrementally uh, incremental laws, overly cautious incremental laws at state levels. There's similar uh, similar initiatives such as heartbeat bills and uh, just personhood bills at local levels that may make it to the Supreme Court. But my constitutional lawyers have told me that the quickest path from the Supreme from where we are now, to the Supreme Court reviewing personhood, and the Supreme Court has never looked at personhood, has never looked at personhood under the 14th Amendment, under the 4th Amendment, the 5th Amendment, uh -huh. justice, due process, uh, the quickest path from where we are now to the Supreme Court reviewing personhood would be the president signing a personhood executive, executive uh, order. That would force the other side to for, uh, sign an uh, get an injunction against it, huh? which the president could then defend all the way up to the Supreme Court, or ignore, or ignore an injunction. It's all laid out on my website, Protest Child. Where does that leave uh, Roe v. Wade? And I'm so sorry to the overthrow of Roe v. Wade, which many see as being the step we need to restore a stronger pro-life culture in America. Yeah, well, again, the mainstream corporate pro-life movement is looking to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is ridiculous, and it makes it a state issue, and nothing changes. If abortion is legal in one state, then it's available to everyone. So, so let me be clear there, Father. You're saying Roe v. Wade, while it would be welcome if it was gone by pro-lifers, it's not going to make much of a material difference, you're saying? Exactly right. It still would be make it a state issue. There's over 30 states that still have abortion legal up to the uh, but is that a good fight? No, no, no. Look at it. All right. 
Roe versus Wade is an unconstitutional judicial decision. All right, it's a violation of the Constitution. All right, why do we want to do anything other than nullify Roe versus Wade? We want personhood recognized from the moment of fertilization, and that will render Roe versus Wade moot. I see. It's not enough to overturn Roe versus Wade and make it a state issue. It's not enough to render abortion illegal because the other side will continue to make it illegal, uh, uh, to make it legal. It's not, a, it's only, the only thing that's going to end this and give us the tools necessary to teach future generations why abortion is unthinkable, that, that, that babies from the moment of conception are unique, precious, and unrepeatable made the image and likeness of God, if indeed we recognize personhood from the moment of conception. And of course, Joshua Craddock, Maureen Condit, many constitutional experts such as Alan Keyes, Dr. Alan Keyes, uh, admit uh, that these babies are constitutional persons from the moment of conception. We just need to get the Supreme Court to recognize it. The quickest way to get the Supreme Court to recognize it is to get the president to sign a presidential executive order, and he can even ignore, he can ignore any injunction, he can ignore the Supreme Court if they didn't rule on personhood, because he could just say, look, it, the Supreme Court gave us this constitutional crisis, gave us this national emergency, we're killing babies in this country, they're constitutionally protected under the Constitution, we just need to recognize that, just ignore it, close up the abortion bills of federal law enforcement, start prosecuting anybody who does abortions from that moment on, mm. and end bloodshed tomorrow. But you would surely welcome the repeal of Roe v. Wade. I'm not interested in the repeal of Roe v. Wade. The quickest path to end this once and for all is constitutional person. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that these pro-life organizations, the mainstream corporate pro-life leaders, who are making tons of money off the blood of babies, overly cautious incrementalism that may or may not lead to the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Solution to this issue, the decisive strategy to end pre-born child killing right in front of us. Trump admits mm. he has it. He's admitted it. So why aren't we mm. forcing him to, to implement The prevailing narrative in liberal and conservative media on the abortion issue in America is Roe v. Wade, repeal or retain. That's right. That's the prevailing narrative, and and uh, that's that's why. See, the, the beauty of this is, and I and I talked to the Trump administration, my contact in the Trump administration, it, when he said that I have a solution to the abortion issue that that nobody else has. He meant nobody mainstream publicly in the pro life movement, right? He got it from me, all right? I sent it to him in July of 2017. He said, I can't explain it because it's divisive and inflammatory. He can't let the cat out of the bag ahead of time, right? Because it'll change the entire, it'll it'll cause upheaval in the country of the Civil War. Mm. Uh, so he said, I can't explain it right now. He's not going to give advance notice. I believe that when he gets reelected, He's going to announce it one day, sign it one day, direct federal law enforcement to close the abortion bills, and indeed start prosecuting anyone who does an abortion from that point on, and then force the Supreme Court to rule on whether these babies are constitutional persons from the moment of conception. The Supreme Court does not rule in person from the moment of conception. It's a worse decision than, than Dred Scott. It'd be, it'd be worse than Roe versus Wade. It'd be worse than the people would not accept it because clearly babies from the moment of conception are constitutional persons as the Constitution is written. 14th Amendment, hmm. right? Equal justice under the law. Due process, right? They're being murdered without any due process. Now, I want to uh, turn to your activism and coming activism. Uh, we presume in Ireland, placed dear to your heart. But before we get to that, I want to ask you maybe to sum up somewhere what's happening in our culture, in our church, in the Western world. Uh, you talk on your social media about moral decay, corruption in the church, even, if I read you correctly. 
I think the single biggest scandal in the Catholic Church today is not the homosexual scandal, which is real and true, not the cover-up of priest molestation, mostly by homosexual priests, which is all true, but those aren't the greatest scandals in the Church today. The greatest scandals in the Church today is the absolute violence of our shepherd in the face of 50 million babies being slaughtered by abortion worldwide every single year. How is that not the greatest issue ever facing us? If you think about 50 million babies, let's say 50 million babies, uh, I did an analysis that since the beginning of man, probably about 110 billion people in the United in the in the world have lived and died in the world 110 billion people okay lived and died by in salvation history if you think about the fact that we've had 1 billion babies killed in the last 50 years how many souls have been lost in the ripple effect of 1 billion babies being murdered 3 billion 5 billion how many souls are being lost in the last 50 years because of preborn child killing. And yeah. to be silent, to be stormy, Now, surely all yeah. priests are silent, good priests like yourself, Father Pavone, and there are individual bishops who are courageous on the pro life issue in America? Yes, there's no doubt about that, but proportionately, proportionately, considering the enormity and the horror of abortion. Proportionally, the church is silent. The shepherds are silent. Why is that? Why are they silent? Is it timidity, or what is it? Well, I think that 50% of the bishops in this country support the Democratic Party, the party of death, the party that thinks it's okay to kill babies up to the day of birth because the federal government gives them millions and millions of dollars to help on the immigration issue and the environmental issue. Uh, I think that's one reason. I think that uh, many of the shepherds believe in their heart that a woman should have a right to choose. Even bishops? Oh, absolutely. If you can't see what's going on in this country, uh, it's, it's, you know, the infiltration of the church. I mean, I thought at one time that was a conspiracy. I'm believing more and more and more that uh, the Masons have infiltrated the church. Communists have infiltrated the church over the last uh, century, since the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, this has been reported. Uh, this is believed by many. I truly believe uh, that we are not in formal schism, but surely intellectually and doctrinally we're in schism. There's a great percentage of bishops that have, are ignoring the 2,000-year uh, tradition of the Church, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of the reason, and there may be any number of reasons the Church is dormant proportionately to the enormity and horror of the daily mass murder of preborn children in the world, worldwide. And it should be the Church standing up as the bastion of morality, or I could say no more, no more. Pope Francis, how do you rate him? I think the Pope has said some incredibly strong proclamations. He said that abortion is the, the equivalent of hiring a hitman to kill your baby. But the fact of the matter is, isolated, isolated proclamations or instances is not enough. There has to be a concerted, unified effort by the church to start calling out countries, especially countries that are predominantly Catholic and Christian, to put a stop to the mass murder, mm. demand the stop of the mass murder. Let me ask you, do you find any irony in the fact that some of the strongest pro-life Christians in America are evangelicals? Well, I think that most of the evangelical leaders will say that uh, most of the, 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 the major pro-life leaders in the United States are Catholic, but I tend to agree with you uh, that, yes, conservative evangelicalism, uh, they have been very vocal because, of course, they don't have to answer to a bishop, they don't have to answer to a pope, they only answer to themselves because of uh, personal interpretation of scripture and uh, individual denominationalism, right? Exactly. Uh, 
But there are obviously a lot of uh, rank and file Catholics in the pews who are pro life, and they they come out in mass to at the March for Life in Washington. That should be said. Abortion mills, and in front of abortion mills, the overwhelming majority of people in front of abortion mills, day in and day out, are Catholic. But yes, my activist friends in the pro life movement who think the way I think, decisive way, are almost all evangelical. Yes. After the break. Father Imperato will talk about the exorcism he performed outside an abortion centre in Dublin during a visit this past summer to Ireland. Why are 20 veterans a day taking their own lives? In this new gripping, brutally honest memoir, Iraq War veteran Tom Voss reveals the answer and an unexpected solution to the veteran suicide epidemic. Driven to the brink of suicide by the moral injury of war, Voss walked 2,700 miles across America in search of healing. What he found was something medication and talk therapy couldn't give him, relief from the guilt, shame, and sorrow that had been torturing him for years. A relief that came in the most unexpected form, meditation and sacred breathing techniques that shattered his understanding of war and himself. Dr. David Shulkin, Ninth Secretary of the VA, says where war ends will inspire countless others leaving them with a sense of purpose and hope. Brian Kinsella of Stop Soldier Suicide calls Where War Ends a captivating personal journey written with a compelling urgency. For veterans, their families, and anyone suffering from trauma, Where War Ends offers an antidote to the moral injury epidemic. Get your copy today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, IndieBound, or ask for it at your favorite library or independent bookstore. Now, I want to turn to Ireland. Uh, you were over there uh, recently in the wake of the sad repeal of the Pro-Life Eighth Amendment, and you were outside an abortion clinic, and could you explain what you were doing there? Well, quickly, let me just give you some background. I was leading a pilgrimage in Ireland, an eight-day pilgrimage in Ireland, and I wasn't there one day. I was on a bus, and I got a phone call from, what is it, Liveline, John, the progressive, the liberal? That sounds correct. <laughs> I live line. They called me up on the phone and they said, uh, Father Imperato, uh, this is live line and we hear you're in Ireland and uh, we want to know what your plans are while you're there. I said, well, I'm leading a pilgrimage, a Catholic pilgrimage to the country of my mother's ancestry. I said, I'm leading a pilgrimage. And they said, so you don't plan on doing what you do because we know what you do. I call it the Red Rose Rescue Effect, right? Anywhere I go, around the country, if they know I'm coming, the police show up, they increase security because they think that I'm going to run into the place and try and save babies. I call it the Red Rose Rescue Effect, right? Uh, but anyway, this is the Red Rose Rescue Effect in Ireland. They're going to, basically, they're implying, they're worried, are you planning on doing any rescues while there, even though they didn't say rescues? I said, do you mean, do I plan on getting arrested while I'm here? And they said, well, we know what you do. I said, I'm leading a pilgrimage. I don't know if I'm going to have any time to do activism. I don't think I'm going to. I said, but I did find out that, I'm go that I am entitled to Irish citizenship because my grandparents on my mother's side are Irish. And I plan on the hope in getting Irish citizenship. When I do, I'm going to come back. I am going to do activism. And I said, but if I do any activism before then, you could just easily put me on a plane, ship me back to the United States, and tell me don't ever come back. I said, so I am hoping to get my citizenship and go back there. But ironically, my last day in Ireland, I had a free day. My transfer to the United States was in the afternoon. It was a Saturday morning. So a couple of local pro-life activists in Dublin asked me to go to an abortion doctor's office on the sidewalk in the front. And I had my exorcism crucifix, John. Interesting enough, is a crucifix with a first-class phone uh, chip of St. Patrick. Okay. Which which was a big hit over in Ireland with the Irish, right? Mm. I, I, tell I don't I, need to guess. I have a big, uh, I have a first-class relative, St. Patrick. That's the crucifix I used to do uh, my minor exorcisms in front of abortion mills. So the video, they took a video of me explaining to the people in front of this abortion doctor's office what a minor exorcism is. I am not an exorcist. Every priest is allowed to do minor exorcisms. They're called exorcisms of location. There's three levels of demonic influence. Temptation is the 
lowest level of demonic influence. Then there's oppression, oppression that's outside of us, external. And every priest is allowed under certain guidelines to do minor exorcisms or exorcisms of location. And there's certain prayers for that. He's entitled based on his ordination. And then, of course, exorcists have to be approved, certified, and trained, given the okay, the authority by their local bishop. I am not an expert. What I do, I'm allowed to do, and I follow the guidelines always. But they took a video of me explaining this to the Irish, to good Irish pro-lifers in front of this, and then they took pictures of me actually doing the exorcism because I would not let them videotape me doing the exorcism because there's supposed to be a certain privacy. But they took some pictures, but of course it hit the Irish media, it hit the American media, it, it, it really became a big deal. Uh, and this is a big part of my ministry as I travel around the country. I do these exorcisms and we've had abortion we had so you believe as many believe also there's evil acts being performed in these abortion clinics it's satanic influences sure absolutely that's why i'm doing these minor exorcisms out in front of the abortion facilities yes i mean these abortion facilities are at once the paradox is that they're modern day calvaries where mm. the most innocent blood of our culture is being shed because of the sins of the culture and it's the gate of hell, where child sacrifice performed by Satan uh, is being carried out. So that's the great paradox. So, of course, to bring Christ, and that's why I also do Eucharistic processions as often as I can or celebrate Mass mm. in front of these abortion facilities when I can. Because Christ conquered death by bringing Christ to these abortion facilities, uh, either in the form of a, a crucifix or, uh, better yet, true presence of Christ in the Eucharist at Mass or adoration, the monstrance, uh, it'll be Christ who, who will conquer the death and, and eventually uh, close up these abortion mills. But in, over mm. Labor Day weekend, John, let me tell you a story. Over that Labor Day weekend, I was in Baton Rouge, and I did prayers of exorcism on Friday and Saturday in front of the Delta Medical Center. And then Sunday, we celebrated Mass in front of in the abortion facility. The abortion facility was closed. We celebrated Mass. We had about 50 people there in my camper chapel. And then the next day was Labor Day. I left. But the next day, Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, the primary abortionist came into the facility and announced that he was retiring and he wasn't going to do any abortions anymore. Wow. Yeah. America. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So Ireland's dear to your heart, you're looking to get Irish citizenship, you're planning to make some visits over there. A lot of friends of Ireland, Irish Americans, Irish citizens, Irish born, in massive diaspora here from Ireland yeah. uh, in the States were shocked, saddened and disappointed with what happened in Ireland. And it's created a kind of a rift of sorts between the Irish in America and the government of Ireland in Dublin. Have you tried to figure it out in your head what happened? Church was dormant. Church, church was dormant. The Irish church was dormant, didn't step well, up. I mean, they have, the church endured the big scandal in Ireland, right, in the years prior to uh, the vote. And, of course, so they were dormant. They were afraid. They, they felt they were neutered, that they didn't have the moral authority to speak out. Whatever the reason was, they were silent. And, of course, the Catholic Church over in Ireland right now, from what I'm told from the activists, is not supportive of the pro-life movement. It's surely not supportive of pro-life activism. Activism. Mm. Friends of mine uh, uh, prayed in front of uh, an abortion facility or maybe a hospital that does abortions in Dublin, and they brought three coffins, three baby coffins. And they were they were told they were insensitive. By who? Five people in the church. Leaders, leaders. Two people going into the hospital that may have had miscarriages. And this is crazy. The insensitivity is we're killing babies. Killing babies. So you're urging the Irish Catholic leadership to step up the game. Yes. I think the Catholic leadership in the church worldwide has to step up the game.
game and take the leading role and start demanding that the daily mass murder of preborn children has to end. On a final note, where do you see your work taking you going forward? What's the next step for the protest priest? Well, I'm, I'm in the process now planning uh, 2020, and uh, I do an on-the-road-for-life trip starting around January 12th. I'll be going to Florida and Texas, uh, maybe some other places. Uh, definitely warm weather because it'll be the middle of the winter with my camper chapel. And then uh, I'll be doing definitely three or four Red Rose rescues over the course of the year. I plan on doing at least one, if not two, trips to Ireland. Uh, extended trips uh, 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 up to a month. I'm probably not going to wait for the citizenship. I'll probably go over there and start doing some organizing and getting to know the people over there. Next year? So in 2020, in 2020, absolutely. So I have plenty to do in 2020. I'm looking forward to it. I truly believe our Lord is telling me what to do, and I'm just following the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary when she told us all just do as he tells you. The wind is at his back uh, as far as the pro-life movement goes. He has strong has a strong base there. By current accounts, uh, President Trump has a, a good shot at getting re-elected. I think it's going to be a landslide, I, uh, I, I think. I think it's going to be a landslide. I, I uh, surely hope it's going to be a landslide. I hope he understands that, he has a, that if he does win, uh, that it's a mandate and that he needs to become the new Lincoln, right? That's why I, tw I tweet him almost every day. So you have contacted the president? No, I have contact with people in his administration, very influential people in his administration. High level of what department? In his administration, yep. in, the White, in mm. the White House. And so they're very supportive of your efforts. They, well, look it, all I know is that a year and a half after I gave him the personal proclamation, presidential executive order, he said he has the solution to the abortion issue that nobody else has, a vice of an inflammatory, so he can't explain it, but he's working on it. As late as July, this past July, one of my contacts in the White House was giving a presentation at a leadership forum of the pro-life movement, and a friend of mine, I wasn't there, got up and asked him, is the President Proclamation Presidential Executive Order still alive and on the table? And this, this, this advisor to the President said immediately without hesitation, yes, it is. Why the rest of the movement is ignoring this, why they don't want to have to, why they're not dealing with it, I don't know. The President has it. I know he has it. I know what it is. We need to get him reelected. Then we need to get him to sign it and put an end to the daily mass murder of pre-born children. Father Imbarado, it was a pleasure talking to you. If people want to reach you, can you give us your website contact details here? Yes, protestchildkilling.com. Protestchildkilling.com. One word, protestchildkilling.com. Well, let's catch up again when you make your visits to Ireland or prior so that we get an idea of what your strategy is over in the land of your ancestors. Sure, John. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.